Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these things seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's skip down to verse 36 now. We're going to read from verse 36 to 48. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And this is the awesome word of God. Our loving Heavenly Father, we praise you for Jesus is alive. Father, we thank you so much that, you can get, that we've gathered here today. And Father, we pray that as we reflect on the resurrection of Jesus, that your spirit will be at work in our hearts, that we would be be inspired to live for you and to give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, It's such good news that Jesus is alive, uh, but I'm going to start our sermon with, uh, kind of like Steve did uh, at the beginning of his Good Friday sermon, a little bit morbidly. I'm going to ask uh, us the following question. What do you think happens when we die? What do you think happens when we die? Now, I remember a number of years ago, I was working on a university campus as a Christian staff worker, working, out with, the, working with the Christian student group there. And uh, it was around Easter time, and we were giving out cookies uh, to students uh, but they didn't just get a free cookie. They had to answer one of our questions, and it was this question. What do you think happens when we die? Uh, and this led to a whole bunch of very interesting conversations that we had. 
Uh, but the general vibe that I got as people answered this question uh, was that there was nothing after death. Uh, it was just very matter-of-fact. What happens after we die? Nothing. We die. That's it. And what I found most intriguing was that most of them were actually very content that death was the end. Now, I wonder how you might answer this question. What do you think happens when you die? Now, my family took me to church since I was young, so I grew up attending uh, Sunday school. And so I was taught that when we die, we either go to heaven or we go to hell. That is, that there is some form of afterlife awaiting us at the end. But I also grew up watching The Simpsons. And so I thought going to heaven meant living in the sky, dressed in white robes, and sleeping on fluffy clouds. Uh, but I also remember that, uh, thinking, uh, I also remember thinking alternatively, you know, if this doesn't work out, maybe we live on as a ghost or a spirit, kind of like Casper, the friendly ghost. Um, or maybe we'd be reincarnated. You know, I always wanted to come back as a falcon because, you know, it's really cool to fly. Also, when people ask me what superpower I want, I would say, yeah, the gift of flight. That would be awesome. So I thought, you know, uh, maybe we live on a fluffy cloud or we come back as a ghost or we reborn as some sort of animal and live out our days like that. Now, whatever it is that you might have believed or you might still believe, uh, whether it is being reborn or moving on to a new life or accepting that life just ends, I wonder, how, I wonder if you've noticed how that thinking shapes the way that you live your life right now. You see, uh, for many of us, there is an underlying desire to be a good person, to hold good morals, to behave with integrity, and perhaps we do that because uh, we want to build up enough good karma, for example. Or maybe we want to ensure that we're good enough to get into heaven. Uh, for others, uh, there's a desire to live life to the fullest, to make a difference in the world, to leave behind a lasting legacy, to build up the next generation. And we do this because we know our time on earth is limited. And so we want to make the most of the opportunities that we have in our lives right now. Either way, what you think influences how you live. We might want to live a good life because we know life is going to end. What we think happens when we die influences and shapes how we live our lives. And ultimately, I think... It drives our sense of purpose. Whether that purpose is being a good person or making an impact or whatever else it might be for you. And I think in today's culture, our, it's, it's our sense of purpose that helps us to feel okay about the fact that we're going to die. Have you ever thought about that? I, wonder whether, I wondered whether this is why so many people, as I was giving out cookies and asking them this question, I wonder, why, I wonder whether that was why people were so content with death being the end. You know, they might say, as long as I fulfill my purpose in life before I die, 
as long as I live a good life, as long as I have no regrets, then I'm okay with dying. I can rest in peace. But I also suspect that even if we feel okay about death, we only feel that way because we've done a very good job of distancing ourselves away from the reality of death. You see, we see death as some distant possibility. And we look to our sense of purpose as a means of coming to terms with this reality and finding some meaning to our lives. But friends, all of this contentment with death can start to unravel when you are actually confronted with the tragic reality of death. And I know for many of you, that reality has come quite close to you personally. I remember for me, it was a couple of years ago, I was attending the funeral. Um, I've been to a couple of funerals, but uh, this one hit different because it was the funeral of an old work colleague. He was my age. He stayed healthy. He was healthier than me, probably. Uh, And he was actually a really great guy. He was a really great uh, guy to be friends with. And one day, he collapsed, and he passed away. And the funeral was full of people his age, my age. And you could tell that for many of them, this was their first time encountering the death of someone their age. Suddenly, for all the people in the room, death no longer felt like a distant reality. And people realized just how terrible death was. And I think it particularly rocked everyone because of how sudden and tragic uh, his death was and how young he had been uh, and how much more life he had to live. It felt like he had never really had the chance to fulfill his purpose. Uh, Now, uh, this friend wasn't religious and he didn't really have many thoughts about what happens after you die. And I got the impression from uh, the the eulogies that his friends gave that they likewise did not believe that there's nothing, that there was nothing more after death. And yet, I remember so many of them, as they were giving their eulogies, speaking as if he was still alive. It It was very strange. They were saying stuff like, Oh, I look forward to catching up with you over a beer after all of this is over. Or, hey, I can't wait to see you again soon and catch up on life. There was, that, there was just that sense that they longed for something more to death. And like I said before, you might, you might have had a recent experience with death. Someone close to you may have passed away recently. If so, you know that when we are confronted with the reality of death, we realize just how awful it is and how much we don't want it to happen. Deep down, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not okay with death being the end. And that impacts our sense of purpose, doesn't it? See, in the face of death, our pursuit of purpose becomes more burdensome. We put all the pressure on achieving our purpose in order to come to terms with our own death. Or, in the face of death, our pursuit of purpose becomes just insignificant because we realize that no matter whether or not we fulfill our purpose, we're going to die anyway. Now, I say all this not to 
put a downer on today or to put a downer on life or to lead us on to some sort of existential crisis. I say all of this because the events of that first Easter Sunday has something very profound to say about what happens when we die. And so let me rephrase that question I asked at the beginning. Do you care what happens when we die? Do you care what happens when we die? And if you do, then let me invite you to consider the significance of the story that we've just had read out for us. Uh, And this story was read out in two parts. And that first part basically recounts that first Easter Sunday, uh, where a number of women arrive at Jesus' tomb uh, three days after he had been executed on a cross, and they discover that the tomb is empty. And the women quickly go and report these things to Jesus' disciples, and the disciples are perplexed. They find it hard to believe that, uh, th- that this news happened. Uh, later that same day, those same two disciples return to the group of the other disciples with some even more crazy news. They had just seen Jesus alive, and they had seen him in the flesh. Now, can you imagine what that would have been like? You're still grieving the loss of your great teacher, your great leader, and these two men just rock up, uh, and they're saying crazy things like, Jesus' tomb is empty, and he's alive again, and walking and talking. You might be thinking, oh, poor guys, they're, they're so sad, their grief just is overcoming them, they're, they're just causing them to hallucinate. And then suddenly you hear a familiar voice. Peace be with you. Now just imagine the range of emotions you'd be feeling. You know, it, uh, I don't know if you've had this. It's scary enough when someone just like sneaks up behind you and just goes, hey. It's just, whoa, what the? But you know, uh, when this person, uh, it's even more scary when that person is meant to be dead. And uh, the story tells us that uh, as, as they heard Jesus' voice saying, peace be with you, they, they, they were startled. They're like, this guy must be a ghost or a, or a spirit or something. You see, that they're troubled. They're doubting whether or not this man that's standing in front of them really is the one they saw nailed to the cross and buried in that tomb. And so Jesus says to them, look at my hands and my feet. It really is me. Touch me and see. Look, touch, see. Jesus is not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's really flesh and bone. He's not reincarnated. You can see the holes in his hands and his feet, the holes that came when he was nailed to that cross. He's really him. He's really alive. He's really there. He even asks for some food. Dead people don't eat. Uh, He eats a piece of broiled fish in front of them, as if to say, look, I'm really alive. I'm really eating food. He's actually swallowing the food, and it's not falling onto the ground like if you were a ghost. It's actually being swallowed and digested in his stomach. Jesus is really alive. After being really dead, 
dead for three days. And he's alive in his actual body, the same body that he had before. Friends, the fact that Jesus is alive has profound implications for us because it means that death doesn't need to be the end. And this is the heart of the Christian message. If you, care what happens after this, uh, if you care what happens after you die, then this message is overwhelmingly good news, isn't it? Jesus, in his resurrection, has demonstrated that death is not the end. Now, at this point, some people may think, this is all well and good, but I highly doubt that Jesus really resurrected from the dead. That just seems impossible. And, you know, uh, some, those people might not, uh, will, are not alone in thinking this. Jesus' own disciples uh, found it hard at first to believe that he had really come back to life. Now, friends, you might uh, know someone who thinks this, or you yourself might think this. If so, let me encourage you or your friend to look into the facts of the resurrection for yourselves. Uh, and the video that we just saw, uh, uh, we just saw earlier I went through some of those main rational proofs, and it's a good place to start to rewatch to kind of uh, investigate that further. Uh, but, you know, if you want to keep thinking more about that, you might consider coming back along to church. Uh, keep coming every Sunday. We talk about Jesus uh, as if he's alive, because he is alive. Uh, and we learn more about who he is and what he's done. Uh, you might even uh, want to get some, to know some other Christians and ask them why they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I would also encourage you, if you're in that sort of position, to come along to our life course that Sonia was talking about. Uh, That will be uh, starting in a few weeks. That'll be a really great opportunity to investigate uh, such things as the resurrection of Jesus. And it'll be a great space to come, a safe space to come, to ask your questions and to continue this conversation about Jesus. Jesus is alive. So let's take stock of what we've covered so far. Uh, We've thought about death, and the fact that it sucks, but Jesus is alive. So that's great for Jesus, right? You know, it's great that he gets to be alive. What about us? What about us? Well, keep listening, because what Jesus says next in his story is hugely significant. You see, he talks about the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Notice there in the story... um, In verse 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that's what we've covered, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, what does repentance and sin have to do with life and death? Well, to answer that, we need to ask another question first. It's a question you may, have, you may not have thought of too deeply about. And that question is this. The question is this. Yes. Why do we die? Why do we die? Now, this is a question that we usually answer scientifically or medically. Uh, we talk about someone's cause of death, why they died. Uh, In the case of my colleague, he was running on a treadmill and his heart suddenly gave out because he had an undiagnosed heart condition. 
When we ask, why did this person die? When we answer that, we're really answering how they died. They died of a heart attack. We're not really asking why people die. And that's because we accept that death is a natural part of life, right? But the Christian Bible actually provides an answer to the question of why we die. The Bible explains that the reason we die is because all of humanity has been cut off from the one true living God. And this is an issue because God is the creator and the sustainer of life. And so to be cut off from Him means that we are cut off from the source of life Himself. To be cut off from Him means that we die. This state of being cut off from God arises from what the Bible calls sin. Sin, at its core, entails a rejection of God as the creator and sustainer of the world. And so it results, as we learned in our kids' spot, in a break in the relationship between the creator and his creation. And what the Bible helps us to realize is that all humans have rejected God. We have all failed to acknowledge God. Instead, treating other things like they are our God. In other words, we fail to worship God. And instead, we worship other things. Things like success, security, relationships, money, influence. We even worship ourselves. This means all humans are sinners. Not because we're all like, you know, commit crimes but because we have all rejected God and failed to worship Him. And the Bible says this means we all die. The result of sin is death. The Bible tells us that the reason we all die is because we all sin. And this explanation affirms to us that death is not how things are meant to be. What God intended was for His creation to live in, relation, in right relationship with Him as their Creator. God's intention was for life to continue without end. And deep down, we know this, or we long for this to be true, right? And our anguish over death expresses this. And the Bible would agree with us there. God didn't create us to die. He created us to live. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It doesn't just answer this question of why we die. The good news of the Bible is that God is not content with death being the end. And so in His kindness, God sends His one and only Son to be born as a human. And this Son never sinned. He was never cut off from God because He Himself was fully God. But he was sent to suffer the death that we as sinful humanity rightly deserved. And in our story, Jesus identifies himself as this son. He tells us that he is the fulfillment of what has been written in the Old Testament scriptures. 
You see, friends, for forgiveness of sins has been God's plan from the very beginning. And what this story tells us is that that plan has now been fulfilled because Jesus is standing there in front of his disciples, alive and well, and eating fish. Now, you might be thinking, why does the resurrection of Jesus mean forgiveness of sins? Why does the resurrection of Jesus mean forgiveness of sins? Well, his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, is God's big confirmation, the big green tick approved that Jesus' death was enough to cover humanity's sin. There's enough balance in your credit card, so to speak. You see, if it were, if he, if it were not enough, then Jesus would still be dead. But his death is enough. It's enough to open the way for the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. And his bodily resurrection is the proof. And so because Jesus' death and resurrection brings forgiveness of sins, you see there in our passage, Jesus calls on people from every nation to repent. Now, what does repent mean? Well, repenting is the opposite of rejecting God. Repenting means turning away from your rejection of God. Repenting means that you recognize that without Jesus, death means the end. Repenting means accepting and trusting that Jesus died the death that you deserved for your sin. Repenting means believing that Jesus rose again from the dead. Repenting means embracing forgiveness of sins. Repenting means that you too will be resurrected from death. So if you're here today and you want to say goodbye to death, Jesus says to you, repent. See his hands and his feet. They bear the scars of his death for your sin. See him standing there before you, alive, eating fish. And believe. Believe that his death will bring forgiveness of sins. Believe that his resurrection from the dead will one day be yours too. Because you have been reconciled to the God who gives life. To the God who brought Jesus back from the dead and promises to do the same for you as well. Friends, the certainty of our future resurrection impacts our lives now. What we think happens when we die influences and shapes how we live our lives. And ultimately, this drives our sense of purpose. So what is the purpose of resurrection life? That's our question for today, isn't it? How does the resurrection impact us now? Well, the resurrection frees us, doesn't it? It frees us from finding a sense of purpose. The certainty of our future eternity frees us from needing to make the most of this life because there is life to come after death. The resurrection gives us hope. 
Now, I'm very aware that for some, uh, there are some for whom life is very difficult for all sorts of reasons. And you might experience trauma or you might have experienced a disability or illness, unemployment, bullying, broken family, toxic relationships, anxiety, depression, war, conflict, heinous crimes, all of those things, that list is endless, and it makes life very hard to live. You know, you might be thinking, death, death sucks, but life, it also sucks. And at least death would be the end of the suckiness of life. That might be you. And I am also very aware that for many of you, it actually has been your experience at church which has caused this pain and this suffering. And friends, if you're here today and that's been your experience, then I want to say sorry. I'm sorry that, that, that the church has caused you to experience that pain and that suffering. That is not what your experience of church should be like. And Jesus will be absolutely horrified if you have been hurt or harmed in some way by his church. I know for many of you, uh, you find it very hard to go through in life. The hurt and pain that the world experiences, we learn from the Bible, is another symptom of humanity's sin, of humanity's broken relationship with God. We have been rejected from God, we've been cut off from our Creator, and so we do things that cause harm to ourselves and to those around us. That is the impact of sin. Which is why, friends, forgiveness of sins is such great news. Because not only does it mean we'll be free from the eternal sting of death, but we will also be free from anything that causes us hurt and pain. Now, I'm not going to pretend that, the life, uh, that life as a Christian is suddenly going to be pain-free and suffering-free. We're still going to feel pain. We're still going to uh, go through suffering because we still live in a broken world. And we're still going to die a physical death. But if you repent and believe, you will be resurrected just like Jesus. And Jesus promises that in the resurrection life, there is going, it is going to be free from pain, free from suffering, free from tears. The resurrection life will be glorious. Things will be right with the world once again. And it's that certain future, that certain pain-free, suffering-free death-free future that we long for and we look forward to. And it's, and it's that longing which gives us the strength to continue to live life in the here and now. You see, the suckiness of life now is temporary. It's fleeting. It's fleeting, especially compared to the eternity of the resurrection. And this is good news good news, especially for you, if you find life difficult to live right now. See, Jesus' resurrection frees us from needing to seek a purpose in life because it gives us a certain hope in the resurrection life to come. But not only does Jesus' resurrection free us from finding a purpose, it actually 
restores our original purpose. That original purpose to worship God. Because that is ultimately what we were made for. To acknowledge God, to glorify God, to delight in God, to depend on God. We were ultimately created and made with the purpose of worshiping God. And the forgiveness of sins that, bring, that comes from the resurrection of Jesus enables us to be reconciled to God, to live in relationship with Him, and ultimately to restore our purpose to worship God. Resurrection leads to repentance. Repentance leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness leads to relationship. Relationship leads to worship. Well, friends, I hope you see that, I hope that this Easter Sunday you are struck with the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is really alive. Now, if you're new to church or you've recently reconnected with Christianity, then I hope that you see that the resurrection of Jesus really matters. Whether you're searching for a purpose in life or you're struggling to find meaning in life, I hope you can see that the resurrection makes a difference. If you want to say goodbye to death, if you want to live, then repent and believe in the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you do believe, whether that's been for a long time or whether you want to repent for the first time today, then I hope that you will see that the certainty of the resurrection gives us a true sense of purpose. See, we don't need to lead a good enough life. We don't need to make the most of our time now. We don't need to be scared of death because we can live with the certainty that death is not the end. We will be resurrected. Everything will be made right. And we know this to be true because Jesus really is alive, which means we can live out our true purpose by enjoying relationship with God, the giver and sustainer of life, and worshiping, worshiping Him till the end of our days in this life now, and worshiping Him for all eternity to come in the life next. Let me pray. Father, Jesus is really alive. We praise you so much for this wonderful news. Father, help us to see that the resurrection really makes a difference. We are dead to sin. We are alive in Christ. We can look forward to the resurrection. We can live now worshipping you. And can we, look, we can look forward to worshipping you for all of eternity. We pray that that would shape our purpose in life here and now, and will give us much praise and delight and honor and glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.